Hey guys, welcome back to Music City Gold. This is episode four. I'm Kyle, your host. With me as always this week is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey guys. So, as we always do, we recap our weekend real quick. You guys had a good uh, week weekend so far? Pretty good so far. It was a pretty crazy work week. At one point I was up like 48 hours. So, I think you have uh, some similar stories, Kyle, but just crazy week. Glad to be Glad to be recording here today. Yeah, it's been quite a week. Uh, last episode, we just talked about uh, Daniel and I specifically were gone to Indianapolis, and we get back to work the next week, and it's like a crazy, stupid week. Everything that we had tried to avoid came back to haunt us. It, it's almost like no one can do our job when they're gone. No, I'm just kidding. Nah, it was a good, it was a good work work week, but just lots of problems. Had to get caught up. I had 8,500 emails by the time I got back, so... As somebody who works with email for a living, that just makes me sad. Yes, you do Outlook, and we have Outlook, so you need to come uh, come help take care of us, Kyle. So. No, I've heard how bad y'all's environment is, and I just don't want to deal with it. Ah, it's not too bad. So, what I did to de-stress this week, I don't know if you play it, Matt. I know Daniel does. I play a lot of Rocket League. <laughs> Matt's shaking his head. Oh, yeah, yeah I sure. Don't, I don't play that. Well, you should. Uh, it's a fun game. It's a uh, nobody knows what Rocket League is. It's basically playing soccer with high powered cars and hockey. And oh, hockey, they do yes. have a hockey mode, which is yeah. awesome. It you is love that. It doesn't get as much as traction as the uh, soccer does, but it's becoming a cool esport. You know, I've always thought about trying to get into esports a little bit. I mean, because gosh, Rocket League just did this whole thing where they were like, we got all these teams coming, and they had like a five hundred thousand million dollar prize pool. Yeah, that teams a compete tournament. on. And what was well, funny, I felt really bad. Matt, you would enjoy watching the feed of this just so you could make fun of the people that play. Oh, because, I'm sure. Uh, people would, because uh, Twitch streams it, and they're sponsored by Brisk, which is a weird drink to sponsor a show, Brisk. It's like, when's the last time you actually thought about, I want some Brisk tea or a Brisk fruit drink? You'd think like an energy drink or something for gamers or something. Stay you know, up all yeah, night. Like Mountain Dew would be a perfect sponsor. Yeah, or Mountain, Mon- Monster. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You, you or even that, Red Bull. Monster and Red Bull sponsor everything. Yeah, anything like high impact, like extreme sport wise, you know, like uh, X Games, they're always yeah. plastered. Monster's always plastered on that. So It's so weird. So they were, in, they were introducing players of these teams of three and you could tell these are people that really don't get out very much. <laughs> Like they were wearing, some of these guys were wearing like you know these spandex type team shirts that had their logos, and it was just wrapping entirely around their body. Mm. You're just like, ugh, like That's Captain like, Underpants. Yeah, they're wearing exactly. the long sleeves because they're gonna get sunburnt just by walking outside. Hundred, hundred and ten SPF. <laughs> Got the glow of the computer screens on their face. <laughs> yeah. Got burnt by my LED monitor at home. So, yeah, that's 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 a little little too much for me. Yeah, I'm just like whatever, but. Those guys spend 8 to 12, hour, 12 hours a day playing these games, and I'm just like, I don't have this time or dedication. But I've slowly found myself getting better. And so I'm just like, you know, maybe one day I can play this. Maybe one day I can compete on that stage and be like, hey, this guy is a, a gamer, and he actually looks decent. He's not a fat kid anymore. Because esports are more Kyle's, you know, 
go-to. Yeah, that's some goals right there. <laughs> that's right. It's a great de-stressor because, you know, if you have a bad week at work, I want to come home and pwn some noobs and rocket league. <laughs> He's got some strong key hands, let me tell you. It's all those key strokes. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, guys, we have got some really big news to talk about. Now, if you are living under a rock or if you hadn't listened to our last episode, the biggest talk of the Preds offseason besides um, signing of Nick Benino and um, all the other players we've signed is was Mike Fisher going to come back. And he said he's going to take time. He's going to pray about it. And, well, guys, his decision has been made. And he broke our hearts. <laughs> I called it. I told you guys he was going to do it. Yeah. So You I know, mean, it's funny because as the time progressed, it was looking more and more like it. Because it was like, he would have said something by now, right? Oh, surely by now. Oh, how about now? And then as it, you know, as the weeks progressed, it just wasn't looking good. It's kind of like if your girlfriend tells you, you know, we need to take a step back and take a few uh, few days to think about this and, and, and go a little slow. That's probably a good sign that, that she's headed out. And same thing with Mike Fisher. Mike Fisher told GM David Boyle, hey, we need to we need to think about this for a little bit. And sure enough, he retired. So a personal question, how many times did you hear that conversation for your girlfriends before you got married? <laughs> oh. oh, I just read it on the internet, Kyle. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so yeah, so we no longer have a captain. Oh, captain, my captain. Oh, God. Not here anymore. So, I know everybody's talking about it, and before we get started on this conversation, because this is a very, very hot topic to talk about, is who is going to replace Mike Fisher as the captain? Now, this is all speculation. If you're listening and you think we have the answers, we don't. We kind of tuned in before or chimed in on this, I think, in a previous episode as well. Yeah, so. even the past two or three episodes, we've it's always come up a little bit because it's it's an off-season topic. It's a big deal. You know, most teams keep their captains for years and years and years. Uh, you know, we had Shea Weber for years. Shea yeah. gets, goes off the Montreal. They bring in Fisher for that veteran leadership because we needed that because we were coming to a transition to a younger team, and now Fisher gave the leadership, and now he's gone. So now we've got a team full of young players. Don't take our word as gospel. We're just speculating as fans of the team. We're fanboys. We like hockey. So, guys, who do you think would be the most logical replacement? Well, I know Matt has had certain takes on this before. Um, for me personally, I feel like it's going to be Yossi or Ellis because we are a defensive-minded team. Uh, I wouldn't count out Joey because of that long-term contact uh, contract extension, I really feel like he's probably just going to get an alternate. Though, um, I, I would assume Yossi is is the prime candidate, considering he has veteran you know status on the team. He's also a defenseman, which plays into our system, and he uh, also previously had an A. Um, I know a lot of people online. I've seen some crazy, you know crazy speculation uh, a lot of people were saying Subban which I just don't see he hasn't been here long enough I think no. Subban gets an A lot later on down the road so I mean it's 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 really up to the team at this point I mean it's it's going to be an interesting decision for sure once you know David and Lavi sit down and, and the team kind of has a discussion as to who they want their captain to be so yeah if we're going to talk Yossi and the other guys uh, the other day I was reading an article by Adam Vinnigan from the Tennessean and he was talking uh, about how this was Yossi's first full season with the A. He led the team in ice 
on each game for the last three seasons. So his responsibilities have increased more and more. And you can tell by the increased ice time, you know, he's getting more trust. And traditionally, the Preds have went with a demon as captain. You know, I went and reviewed the last couple of captains, and we've had some forwards and we've had uh, defensemen. But as you said, Matt, Nashville has always been a defensively minded team. So it makes sense, you would think, to keep the, tra- the tradition going of let's get a demon as your captain. Right. And like you said, if you stick to that construct of wanting to lift up your decor and, and really show it off, you would make that decision to have a new captain as a defenseman, which is, uh, you know, Shea Weber, your staple captain for years was. So you would kind of think it would, it would either be Yossi or Ellis by that standpoint. You had mentioned uh, Johansson, perhaps, and he's a forward. So if you stick by that construct as to what the team really excels at, you would say pick a D-man. But you also make the counter argument that since you locked up Johansson for eight years and kind of gave him the whole farm there for eight million for eight years, you have so much faith and trusted him already. I I think it's only logical to just go ahead and you could see the argument to just go ahead and give him the captain because he is the new face of the team. You're really putting your trust and, and faith in him and go with it where it is. So I could see either way. Yeah, I don't really see uh, Johansson uh, getting it because yeah, he signed an eight by eight contract. So that me says he's going to be around a little bit. They're going to expect more uh, responsibilities out of him. But since he's still new to the team, you know, this is going to be his starting his second full season with us. I don't think it's reached that point. If anything, since we're looking for additional alternates, he might be a contender for an A. You don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't actually realize he had been with the team. I forgot how short of a term he served with the team. You know, that's an interesting point. Now, you mentioned Ellis earlier. Uh, he was named an alternate captain in February to the leadership group, but he physically didn't get to wear the A, but he was a veteran leadership presence in for the team. And he had a career high of 38 points this season. And his ice time increased average-wise average, average wise, more than three minutes from the 15-16 season. So he's had an increase of responsibility and trust as well. So we've got candidates, but we don't know who's going to be. And the team probably isn't going to say anything towards mostly the start of the season of who, who becomes the new captain. I do like Ellis as, as a captain choice just because, man, he has been a warrior last two years. They, man, the playoffs this year where he was injured too, playing through that and blocking all those shots, even in goal, he he's deserved deserved at least an alternate for a little while now, I, I felt. But we'll see. We'll see where he ends up. Now, some of our newer listeners – I'd seen it mentioned, uh, would, would consider why not say Pecorine for captain role? And that's something that some people may or may not know is that cap uh, is that goaltenders no longer can wear the captain C under NHL rules. So if you're not, haven't been a follower of hockey for that long, you might not have known that. And it's kind of just understood that a goalie is going to be a leader anyways. Uh, I mean, you're the starting goaltender, you know, night in, night out. So you're going to have to lead regardless you're not wearing the C, but you are going to have to be in that locker room. You're going to have to have a presence, and people are going to have to look up to you regardless. No, oh, definitely, because, so. you know, you're playing in that crease 60 minutes a night. Yeah. Yeah, I actually uh, got turned on to an article. Uh, Jeremy K. Gover turned me on to an article by Greg Bollock of In Goal Magazine, and he kind of talked a little bit about the history with goalies and the captain role and, and why that is. So I'll take a second to read a little bit of uh, 
his article there. He says, in the beginning, goaltenders were commonly seen as leaders and were given the captaincy on six different occasions between 1924 to 1948. But after the 48-49 season, the NHL changed the rules. Goaltenders could no longer be named captain thanks to Bill Dernan, the last goalie that officially wore the C on his jersey. The Dernan rule came into effect because the Montreal Canadiens goalie could argue so many calls. He would argue so many calls that teams started to complain that it was like giving his team extra unauthorized timeouts. So goalies were banned from becoming captains in the NHL that day forward because of two simple new words that were put into uh, Rule 6.1 in the rule book that says, No playing coach or playing manager or goalkeeper shall be permitted to act as captain or alternate captain. Interesting. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's some of the some of the history there. And he, he goes on to mention the the 08 Canucks and how they had uh, unofficially named Roberto Luongo their captain. <laughs> and he just, uh, of course, he couldn't wear the C officially, but he had it painted on his uh, on his goalie mask. And <laughs> they just had three people who wore the A's on the ice. And he served as the off-ice captain. Somebody else, one of the alternates, just served his duties during the, uh, during the timeouts and whatnot. That's interesting. He mentioned... Uh, how he caused so many disturbances that it's like giving his team extra timeouts. And who that reminded me of, we talked about tennis an episode oh, or two ago, was that John McEnroe yeah. was famous for doing that, just arguing with the umpires just for a few minutes just so he could catch a breath and get back in the game. So that's pretty interesting. That's who it reminded me of. Strong tactic. Yeah. <laughs> Don't blame him. So you're talking about, you know, goalies being the unofficial, like, leader, you know. So you got to think about what does that talk about? You know, you say Saros, for example. He's coming up. He's learning from uh, Pecorine. To me, if I'm a backup goaltender and I'm learning the, my trade from the starting goalie, it's also interesting because you're learning how to be a leader as well, too. Because he's a young guy, and he's going to be our franchise goalie down the road. I Personally, I believe he will be. He's there. People love him. He had a great season with us. And when Rene does eventually decide that he's going to hang up his skates no longer, we're going to look towards Saros. So I also think that Rene has given him invaluable leadership experience, too, of saying, hey, get out here, help these guys out. If they're having a bad night, you've got to go in that locker room and you've got to help them because you're going to be in that crease the entire night no matter what. You you could kind of see that because he's really becoming like almost like a father figure to him because here's this young guy. They're both from Finland. Uh, so it, it's, it's kind of interesting because I saw a video once where he would have some of the younger teammates come over to his house and like he literally like was cooking salmon. Like, in a, like, it was awesome. He He's literally like Papa Peck right now. And he's <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely trying to instill, like, the fact that, yes, being a goalie is a leader and that eventually when I'm not here, you're going to have to be. But it's also interesting to note that Soros, his playing style kind of trickled its way to Peck this year a little bit too. There was a lot of nimbleness and yes, a we lot of getting out of the goal in the crease. Which really helped us in the playoffs when they were dumping it in, and we could literally there was no forecheck because Peck would always come out of the goal and get it, and um, it was very interesting to to note how they're they're kind of like playing off each other's strengths now, and that really helped Peck out because I thought this last season was probably one of the better showings for Peck in a long time since he won the Vesna. Um, of course, he had injuries, you know, several years after that, so it it was kind of hard for him to really rebound and have amazing numbers on those seasons, but I felt like he came out strong last year, especially in the playoffs. I mean, can't argue that. Yeah, you mentioned kind of how they play off each other. Kind of selfishly, 
I think, you know, if I was Pecorini, I don't know how I'd feel about training my replacement in the waiting, you know, but Pecorini just seems like a nice guy. I don't think he'd have that same selfish attitude that I would have. I don't, I don't want to, you ever done that kind of on the job site, have to train a replacement or somebody to do the job that, that, uh, you got promoted. So you have to train your replacement. Well, kind of selfishly, I don't want, I wouldn't want to do that if I was Pecorini because now he's my competition. It's not like I got promoted. He's just my competition, but if they can share cliff notes and help each other out, that seems like a sweet thing. Yeah, I can see them having some little field note notebooks with them, taking notes of yeah. the game. I see you do this <laughs> and see that. Uh, you're talking about uh, Saros and Rene being, you know, just good uh, buddies. One of the things I noticed, and I can't think of the arena where it was at, but I remember that they don't have a spot for the backup goalie. Oh on yeah, their bench. I remember this. Go ahead. And so Saros was playing that night, and Rene is in the crowd. Like his backup spot is in the crowd. Yeah, it's like right behind, behind him. Yeah. yeah, behind the net. So you got the players around him, and they were talking about after the game, because I'm pretty sure we won that game. And they're like, you know, how did it feel like, you know, having Rene behind you? And Sarah was like, oh, it was great. You know, during timeouts, I tried, we just wave real quick and go back around. <laughs> yeah, he'd pull his mask off to get, like, some water, and they'd just be, like, talking to each other. He'd be smiling. Like, if he made a good stop, like, Peck's like, oh, yeah, good stop, man. So That's why I'm excited for Sarah. So I think they're building off each other. I think they're incorporating each other's play styles, like Daniel said. Uh, Rene took some of Saros' stuff, and I believe Saros has taken some of uh, Rene's stuff. Just see the nimbleness back and forth. And I think it's going to go really well this season. So at the end of the day, I know we deviate from the topic just a bit on the captaincy. You have to understand that we don't know who the captain's going to be. And at the end of the day, no matter how much we do, the only person who's going to be named the captain is the person the team thinks fits the job. I mean, we could. it could be somebody we've named. It could be somebody we don't. Look at Connor McDavid. <laughs> Second season with the Oilers, boom, yep. captain. That's I because don't... he is the, the, the new Gretzky for them. Yeah. Like that's, he's the one that's going to lead them to the promised land again. He's so. kind of the exception to the rule. Nobody else really follows that model. But. So closing the door on that topic, let's go to the next one. The Preds did make some coaching changes in their offseason as well. So we've hired Coach Dan Muse to be our assistant coach, and we promoted Kevin McCarthy to be our associate head coach. We all know that Phil Housley left to go be the head coach of the Sabres. Well-deserved promotion. I hope he does well. Personally, hope his team doesn't beat us. I do uh, think that he will so. um, take their defensive core, and because he's, you know, he's a defensively-minded player. He did play with the Sabres, so I think he will take his knowledge that he used to help us be good and do the same thing for the Sabres. I felt like that was a good fit for him. I mean, to be honest, returning to his home team, yeah. like it, it just it made sense, and I think everyone kind of understood that he was leaving. It was kind of so, one of those things. With Dan Muse, here's some information about him, courtesy of Adam Vinnigan from the Tennessean again. Uh, he's going to be coaching our forwards, and he's taking over the penalty kill. Uh, oh. He is the first penalty kill or a power play penalty kill. Okay, he's the first United States Hockey League coach to be promoted directly to the NHL, and he won an NCAA title in 2013 with Yale. Mm -hmm. Before he left um, the U.S. Hockey League to come up to the NHL, he was the coach of the Chicago Steel. And within two seasons, he got them a Clark Cup championship. So I'm excited about having him on board. And I think that he will bring some much-needed life to our penalty kill because, let's be honest, our penalty kill was not the best this season. Well, you mentioned 
him as a new coach, we don't really have we don't really know too much about him because honestly, we don't really follow the USHL very much. So a lot of this is he's kind of a new face to, to me and most others, I'm sure. But it kind of he gives me some similarities to uh, the Detroit Red Wings coach Jeff Blashill, who previously was the head coach for the Grand Rapids Grand Rapids yes. Griffins, and they decided to bring him up because everybody kind of like Nashville, everybody that comes to that main NHL team came from their system. So you're promoting a coach, not necessarily not necessarily Dan Muse, but in the case of Jeff Blashill, all their players coming up, he was already their coach anyway at the Griffins. So Blashill might, I'm sorry, uh, Dan Muse might also have a similar kind of coaching style that's good at coaching these young players up into the NHL. Uh, I also want to point out that it seems like Dan also enjoys working with younger players as well he actually served as the um the united states national junior team video coordinator for 2013 and 2014 so he knows a lot of those younger players inside and out and uh, obviously working you know with yale and and whatnot he he does tend to gravitate towards the younger age group which our team has slowly shifted i mean look we fisher's gone like i mean we are literally the young team on the block now. So along with bringing Dan Muse in, you know, that uh, could help give some improvements, like maybe to the power play or a penalty kill or or various areas. Um, What are some other areas you guys think that we, uh, as the team, the Predators could, could improve on this year? Personally for me, I think it special teams is off the bat. Special teams is where we need to improve. So that's why I'm excited for the coaches because we got, you know, Muse is going to be on the penalty kill and McCarthy's taking the uh, power play duties. So I want to see a difference because one of my biggest complaints of the power play all season and playoffs were zone entry. Zone entry was terrible. I mean, we drop pass. Drop passes are fine for a point, but when your entire play for two minutes is drop pass, drop pass, drop pass, everybody's just like, yeah, we know what we're doing. We're too fast for drop passing. Don't, like... There's going to be a lane open. If you are passing correctly in the neutral zone and gaining speed, you will be able to find it. Granted, there are some players that you probably don't want to try to gain that zone. Ellis is one of them on our yeah. team. I know like he stands that blue line up every single time. Once. Oh, yes. But you got to identify which players uh, on their line that you can gain an entry. And like The problem is we get close to the blue line, drop pass, maybe another one, then we just dump it in. So it, it, it was struggling, and... The playoffs, especially in the last two series, the uh, Western Conference Final and the Finals, we struggled on the power play big time. So I'm very much excited for special teams this year. Yeah, another thing I hope we do a little better job of is you guys, it seemed to be the last half of the year, your Achilles Hill was playing an outstanding second period, but not really showing up so much for the rest of the game. Let me tell you. Second period was the most exciting period of hockey I've ever like. It was insane how much um, better we were. I think our goal, like, what was our spread at one point in the season? We were like plus thirty. Yeah, it was some goal different. It, it may have been even higher than that. I, we'll have to look it up. But it, it it was hilarious how we would come out flat every single night, but then all of a sudden we get in the locker room and it's just boom, we come I- out firing. I think they probably did the uh, Space Jam reference and got some of that Mike secret secret yeah. juice or whatever Lo- it is. Lobby's <laughs> special juice or whatever. It's the secret stuff. So I, I don't know, but I totally agree. 
don't come out flat this year. I, th- I think coming into the new season, you know, we were like I said, we're making player changes. We're making coaching changes. I think we're going to see a vastly improved team coming into the season. Like I said, wish Housley luck. He's done a great job. Made our decor what it is. I hope that uh, McCarthy, since he's taken over the defense, that he continues what it is. Okay, you know, another area that we could do a little improvement on is the overtime games this year. Oh, oh God. My. Three on three. Yeah, it was terrible. I I don't know. That seemed to be like, you know, you were saying the second period was really good for us. Our Achilles heel was overtime. Especially in the regular. I mean, well, obviously we only played the three on three in the regular season, but I feel like our team structure for overtime, it's like we're treating it like a, a penalty kill, essentially, and we get in that triangle and we just let we we're, it's like we're absorbing all the shots and not pressuring at all, and we get hammered. It sucks in, in three on three overtime, which is fortunate for us because once we get to the playoffs, we don't have three on three overtime, and we have surely proven that we play way better five on five. I mean, it's almost hilarious how much better we play five on five. But that said, it hurts our points production or our chances to receive more points in the regular season. So I feel like always going into the playoffs, we've been lower seeded because of that, but it still doesn't translate to playoff success because your format's going to be completely changed. I know you're talking about, you know, point production. Take a look at this. So before we before we came in, I did some quick uh, little research on the overtime because this is a topic I, of course, was curious about. So Laviette took over for the 14-15 season. We registered... 10 overtime losses. We had 104 points. Point percentage, we finished at a .634, which is decent. And we were second in the Central. But we got bounced the first round. Now going to the six, the 15-16 season, we got 14 overtime losses. Getting worse. 96 points. Got a .585 percentage. Goes fourth in the Central. Get bounced the second round. So we kind of went down. But we made a step forward. Oh, wait. There's more. And then we get to the 16-17 season. We register 12 overtime losses. Okay, so two-game improvement. Oh, marginal. <laughs> 90, 94 points this time. Increasingly went down point-wise. Our point percentage goes to a 5-7-3. Went down again. Placed fourth again in the Central. But we get the Stanley Cup final. What's happening? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, Kyle. Some more stats I got for you. You mentioned we had 12 overtime losses this year. And the league average was 10, so we're just not far off that margin. But if you look, you talk about playoff positioning and how we just barely squeaked in the playoffs. You managed to get really far, but we had mentioned a couple episodes ago, when you see higher, you give yourself a higher chance of success because you're playing those teams who might not be quite as good as you are at the time. So... If you take those 12 games we lost last year, we finished the season with 94 points. If you instead added that extra point, if you won those 12 games in overtime, that would take us to 106 points. Oh, my god! And you know where that gets you? That gets you tie for second in the Western Conference with Minnesota. So if you just something so small as getting that second point in overtime can make the difference in you getting a wild card spot or getting second in the whole conference. It's incredible. And once again, that goes back to the five-on-five. Five. Like, our five-on-five five is so much better, and then we get to the playoffs, and it's all five-on-five five for OT. 
So that only helps us. But that said, we have to improve. Have to. If you win half, we're not a wild card team anymore. We're getting more home games, which obviously played into our favor this year. So, yeah, that that's a huge area to improve. We did have a very ridiculous home win percentage in the playoffs. Well, considering the rest, I think other teams at one point, um, the league playoff like average, I think it was like under 500 at one point. I think it was like a .479 or something. At, like home field advantage was almost non-existent for other teams except the Preds. Like we were dominating. And at one point we had a, a long win streak even dating back into the, the previous playoff year. So, I mean, it, it means a great deal for us just getting one or two spots higher in the Western Conference. Like it, it's a big deal instead of literally having to, to to have less home games in every I mean we knew going into it we were wild, wild card so we knew that we were going to have the lower amount of uh, home games so well you mentioned changes to the system and and we've gone to 3 3v3 overtime um, what's your opinion on that is that something you found that you guys will like more than the traditional 5 on 5 or how's that I'd like it more if we won uh, I think it's almost for a Predators fan, for a Predators perspective, it's almost like, oh God, we made it to overtime. Here's our one point mentality. Like, but literally, you knew we were about to get hammered kind of mentality uh, going into it. But taking a step back out of the Predators perspective, what about just as an approach, just enjoying the game of hockey? Like, if you're watching it on TV as a spectator, it's do great. you like it? I, I enjoy it because it. it's it's faster. There's more space on the ice. Obviously, I think that goes back to my whole triangle thing that we just kind of collapse in on ourselves. Other teams don't tend to do that. But that said, I I I enjoy it because it's just fast and it, it's it's um it creates a lot of matchups and you you get to see a lot of the snipers come out on their team. Oh yeah, because the, you know they're they're going for that bar and in the three v three is to me is like a skill match. You know, you might be a, you might have a good power forward in there, but for three v three, you need skill. Right. Well, when they did this, the league decided to do three on three to try to reduce the amount of games that went to shootout. And I think everybody can agree that shoot, deciding a hockey game in a shootout is like deciding a basketball game in a three point contest. It's just a different skill. So they tried it out in the AHL first, and then they brought it to the NHL. And according to some stats I found from Yahoo Sports the implementation of three-on-three overtime has reduced the amount of games that go to shootout by a little over 16%. So, a decent amount. I'd say it's pretty good. I mean, 16% reduction of game length, essentially, is good. uh, Sorry, you see uh, baseball doing that, too. They implemented a pitch count, like uh, almost like a shot clock for the NBA, but for pitchers. Because... MLB, I mean, they're struggling as far as like TV ratings because it goes on forever. No one watches baseball. Well, it's, it's boring. so boring it's to watch. So boring, like it is beyond. It's like watching paint dry. So, go ahead. well, kind of like you mentioned, uh, it's kind of boring. Well, one thing, even if you might say it might not help the Predator system, the three on three as much, but it is certainly more exciting because you have, like you said, you have faster plays, you have breakouts, and if you have an odd man rush one way 
and then they miss it. It's an odd man rush the other it's way, and it's just pong. back and forth. It is ping it pong. is very exciting to watch. I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Regardless if it fits our system as, as well or not, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, it is. And I'm sure it's very stressful for a goalie in 3v3 over time, seeing that breakaway. Oh, God, you you're know. Just, you're just like, okay, make or break. Go pick or go home. Either I'm making the save or we're done for the night. Well, you know, it's either if you go short side, he's passing back and you're about to get hammered going across the ice. You know, like you're not going to be able to do a left or right move that quick or a right to left move. So it's. That does remind me of the. It's a terrible position for the the goalie to be in. I can't remember the game it was. I think you and I were there watching it where we won one of our few overtime games. And I believe it was against the Canucks. And it was basically a two two on one. Uh, that breakaway. game went to overtime? Yeah. It was a breakaway two-on-one. I'm going to throw this pen across the rim at you. <laughs> Good Sorry. Boom, Good job. I'm going to throw this pen across the rim at you. Our top five list have been a pretty good hit with everybody, so we got another top five list this week, and um, I think this might be a good one. A little uh, – we kind of teased it last week. We mentioned uh, overused words. So tell us our topic for this week, Kyle. Our topic for this week is our top five hockey pet peeves. Mm. This is going to get juicy. Yeah. And I've Matt, been wanting to rant on this for like a week. And since <laughs> Matt, you've been, you've been wanting to rant, Matt, you can start. You're, you're, no, no, no. We can't break no, the order yeah, up. Kyle's been going Kyle. first every week. Yeah. I'm just saying, Matt's about to get a lot of air time here. <laughs> Go <laughs> ahead. i to air out my frustrations. Go ahead. Oh, goodness. All right. So, my top five pet peeve, only because I hate listening to him during the playoff season, <laughs> is... Pierre Maguire. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I considered him. I didn't that, think about that one. That man <laughs> has the most useless <laughs> hockey information. He could be like, here we are today, you know, game six, Stanley Cup final of the Nashville Predators versus the Detroit Red Wings. In goal tonight is Matt Bain. You know, Matt Bain grew up thinking the world was flat sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he used that experience to the What a lovely game we have tonight. I know, and just like stuff like that, I'm like, nobody cares. All I want to know is how many points the guy put up. What does he play? Not that, oh, you know, he had a pet bear back in the day that he named Rocky. You forgot he where he went to college, Kyle. He always got to put that in there, too. Yeah, he's always like, here's a random fact about when they were younger. Here's when we went to college. You know, here's their favorite food. And it's like, nobody cares, Pierre. Just talk hockey. Go home to your Sidney Crosby shrine. I think he's got one. I really do. He certainly likes to give him some love, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Daniel, what do you got for your number five? All right, number five, because it is near and dear to me, and it frustrates me sometimes, and I understand kind of why they put this in, but there is one thing that kills me, and that is the delayed game penalty over oh, the yeah. glass. Mm, that's stupid. It's underneath that. my skin every time because it's just so frustrating to watch because you can tell, obviously, it's not – on purpose, a lot of times, you're trying to clear it. Then there's this whole ambiguous, did it get tipped or not? Did it come off the board? Like, they don't really review it, so it's very subjective with the red. <sighs> it's annoying. It's very annoying. Daniel has been sitting next to me in some games, and he'll see it happen. And there's Stuck been my a- head. occasions where I just stand up, and I'm just like, what the heck? Throw your arms in the air. Yeah, yeah, like you don't care, but you really do care. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure the players, it's got to be frustrating for the players because to see their reaction when they do it, and they're like, oh, dang. It was so, like, especially the obvious ones where they just, yeah. like, chipped it. It doesn't even touch the nothing. Just straight in the crowd, in our zone. Oh, that gets me. It gets me. 
Well, you know, even the goalies can cause delay of game. Yes, and th- th- that's another ambiguous thing. But on top of that, we also have um, uh, the whole where you can chip it out, but if it's inside of your zone, it is a delay of game. But if it goes out like in a bench or in neutral ice or in the box, in the or box somewhere. then it's... Well, that's because where the that's where the blue line is. Yes, I I understand, but it's just it's it's all out of play. <laughs> it's all in the crowd, anyways. So it's if it's going on, it's if if it's delayed again or not. At that point, I'm more concerned as a fan, okay, because that puck's going towards somebody. They're going to lose teeth too. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but it's just hilarious to see players' reactions when they do it. They just kind of slump down because they're like, "This is the lamest call you're ever going to get for anything." So, okay, Matt, what's your number five? All right, kind of similar to that. My number five is a delay a game over the boards in the defensive zone. Sounds oddly familiar like mine. Just like what you said. Me and Daniel link up on number five. Mind it sink. Is, it, yes, right, mind sink. It is a lazy thing to do. You can take the extra half second and flip it towards and fl- center <laughs> yes. ice instead of being too lazy to turn your torso the direction of center ice. Everything you just mentioned, it is very frustrating to watch. I just think it's lazy. Maybe sometimes they, you know, the defender's coming right up on them, so they really have to get rid of it and they don't have time. But you're really taking a risk when you do that because you're going to cause a you're going to cause a penalty if you do that. Just take the extra second, maybe uh, stick handle away from them, maybe make a pass instead of I don't know making a delay a game. So it, it, yeah, it, it's almost it's tough because because I'm not a player, so I'm sure there is at times where you know, like you said, you got to you got to attack coming they, at them. They're just reacting. I think that's the problem. Like they're like, "Oh god, I got to get it out." Yeah. And they just shoot it wherever they can. And it's like, "Oh my gosh, just a half second or shoot it at the bottom of the like do something other than just literally chipping it up." And it really cracks me up when they do chip it and then like everyone's pointing at other yeah, players. You yeah. know how it is? Oh, he threw it. Oh, it was out. Delay game. Like the other team, of course. They're like, uh-huh. "Oh yeah, that was out. We didn't chip it at all. We didn't tip it, you it's know." A, it's like a bunch of children oh, going, "It's hilarious. It's your fault." Like, yeah, your fault. All, all the fingers come out. And that's what really cracked me up about the uh, the delay game because it's it's just a whole finger pointing mess at that point. Yeah, that's true. Don't be lazy. That's a good one. That's me true. and you both sync up on that one. I'm glad we can oh, rant together. Man. All right. Well, then that gets me to my number four. I saw this a lot during the playoffs. Daniel, do you remember the family that was behind us? Dude, you're I'm mind syncing with you on number four too. This is crazy. Go ahead. Go ahead. I know what you're about to say. It's kind of a two parter. One, I get so frustrated. When there's a play coming down at the end, oh. and the fans in front of us stand up. Oh my God! And there, it's nothing's happening. Like we gained entry to the zone, and these two kids in front of us stood up, stood up all the time. What hands up? Blah, blah, blah. And you can tell they had really had never been to a game where they really weren't. Because this guy, like, he had a cowboy hat on, he had the boots, you know, real just a button up, a button up, <laughs> yeah, flannel shirt, pearl and button, he, button up. Yeah, he kept no, standing. Seriously. Yeah, he kept standing up, and so. Not only were Daniel and I yelling at him, but everybody around him was going, sit down, because <laughs> we couldn't see. And so then you had that, and then you got this family behind us. And I'm a short person, so I get the struggle, but apparently this guy's wife was so short that anytime we, we scooted forward, forward, he would tap us on the shoulder and go, my wife can't see, can you lean back so she can see? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, next, just get her a booster seat. At this point, because I'm like, it's the playoffs. I'm not consciously thinking one that I'm leaning forward because I'm into the game one. And then that and, same, and it's like this: we're still in the seat. It's not like we're actually standing like those idiots in front of us. No, no, we're actually in our seat. So that it, nuts. 
like you said, it's frustrating. It's kind of a fine line too, because you can see, like you said, some of those people who do that are maybe younger or maybe aren't quite as familiar with hockey etiquette. So they're excited, but at the same time, you got to know how to be courteous to others, kind of like at a restaurant. If your kid's screaming around the restaurant, you might want to try to be courteous and maybe take them out or, you know, settle them down We'll take them out all right, let me tell you, because (laughs) they would literally be jumping while gaining entry to the zone. I'm like, I can understand if we just shot at the goal and it hit the post and you hear a ding or it was a very or there's a scramble in front of the net. Everyone's kind of raises up to see what's going like it makes sense at that point but like the most minuscule thing and they're like oh my god we gotta stand and keep yelling and then they'll stand and they'll just watch for like good five seconds and we're all like sit down i remember when the entire crowd yelled them they turned around and they were like we paid for the hockey game and there was like we don't care we can't (laughs) see it's kind of like a good rule of thumb, when in Rome, do as the Romans. So if you don't see anybody else standing up looking like an idiot, chances are you're the idiot. So sit back down and do what the rest of us do. That's, That's right. right. So, Daniel, was that your number four that, as that well? That was number four. Rant, no, rant, rant done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm we, not like mind sync. Man, okay. We're doing maybe, good maybe today, I'll guys. Have, maybe I'll have one that's different from one of y'all. So. All right. What's your, what's your four, Matt? All right. My number four, when you're gaining entry into the zone. Oh, God. <laughs> stick handling at the blue line. Because when you do this, you stick handle, you're going left to right. Well, you got your, your wingers are coming back in behind you. You're gaining entry to the zone. But when you stick handle at that specific moment, you're throwing off their timing. And they're going to be offsides because you took the puck and went backwards a half step. So now they're a half step ahead of you. And so anytime you any of you gain entry to the zone, don't stick handle at the blue line. Find some other place. Just keep it in limbo for a second so we can gain the right judgment call on when the timing to come into the zone with you is. Throws off, throws off the whole line. And yeah. it's just like, you can see they're coming in. Why are you hesitating? Or Yeah, yeah, they're hesitating. That's a good point. Yeah. It's, it's like a, like a ha- just a hair, too. Like, they're like, oh, maybe if I can, like, deke this one. No, just get the puck across the line so your friends can help you out. Don't be a superstar. Just get it in. That's right. I'm sure def- <laughs> I'm sure defenders key in on that and and try to make that happen because they know that's a common thing. But as an attacker, you got to find a way to protect the puck to get around that happening. You know, come on, guys. This isn't amateur hour. Yeah, this isn't peewee hockey. You're better than this. All right, Kyle. So my number three. Number three, and I saw this a lot during the playoffs again, and I understand. You know, we had a lot of new people. Everybody was trying to find jerseys. People that got into hockey during the playoffs found out your standard jersey, team jersey, is about $160. Now, if you get your name customized onto it or something, <laughs> it dumps it to $200, which to me, everyone's like, that's too much money. Well, if you wear that jersey to every game, you're pretty much paying for that jersey every game. It's a it's a good investment, especially if you don't get a player's name on the back of it, so that way you can keep wearing Last it. longer. Yeah. So I, per- did a, I did a nickname, and that... That's nice for me because it's not my own personal name and no one knows that. And on top of it, I don't have to worry about a trade or someone getting traded. Same thing with me. I've got my gamer tag on the back of it and it looks like a legit player with number. It looks like a foreign player. <laughs> but <clears throat> what really uh, kills me is people were buying fake jerseys all over the place. And there's a very difference of jerseys. So if you look at the uh, Preds regular season jersey, it's dark blue lettering. The way you can tell a fake jersey is the lettering is light blue. 
like it's a completely yes the lettering is a complete (laughs) we're we're from nashville by the way (laughs) different shade of blue lettering so you can tell it's different i'm like if you're gonna do this do it right i'm kind of a perfectionist when it comes to if you're gonna get into something do it as best as you can now i understand if you can't afford it don't go onto a site like um a facebook page for example and show your jersey off and go look at the jersey i buy it's the legitimate jersey and then get upset when people point out, here's a real jersey, and here's the one you got, and they start pointing out that there are obvious signs that it's fake. Then get then get mad about that you got that you got swindled. Yeah, if you're buying from a manufacturer that's distributing out of China, you're you're probably getting an off-brand product. You're not probably getting the Reebok brand. You know, <laughs> you're not buying the Coach from China. I'll put it like that. <laughs> that's right. And like you said, if you don't have, I understand people don't quite have the money for it. That's a lot of money. And like you said, Daniel, players will get traded. Boom, so they're gone. Yeah, I understand that. But so my counter argument to what I would do would just get a shirt. You know, it's twenty, thirty bucks. Or a jersey. Yeah, or a jersey. Jersey. Yeah. Save some money and get get a nice jersey because you can tell the difference in material too. If I buy a hoodie a junk, you can tell it's itchy, scratchy. Get it out of my face. I would rather take a cheaper, uh, uh, like a, instead of getting a hoodie, I would just get a shirt, a really nice quality shirt. And you can tell it goes a long way to the difference. So by the quality. They do also have some really nice hoodies, by the way. I think CCM makes those like old fashioned looking. Yes, I have some oh of those. My yeah. God, they look so good. So they do. If you haven't seen those, go check those out. So what's your number three, Daniel? Number three. I have another certain commentator, which is our favorite. <laughs> oh, I know where you're going with this. Some might say he is the clown. Oh <laughs> yes. It is Mike. Millberry, which definitely, I mean, yes, we harbor some ill feelings towards him being Predators fans, but it is not just me. And I'm sure Matt can even back me up on this. Some of the comments that Mike makes have no place as far as being like an, an actual commentator or have really any backing in some cases. Some of my personal favorites from this year. P.K. Subban, wow, why is he dancing? He looks like a clown. If I were Lavi, I would really sit like, I would, oh, yeah, that's not acceptable. Has he seen any videos of, one, the Predators' warm-ups? They're not normal. Two, P.K. is P.K. He does this. And just because it's not your style doesn't mean, because he comes from an old-fashioned brand of hockey, which also, by the way, Mike Milbury was also involved in a crowd fight. Oh. In when he was a player in Boston in Madison Square Garden, their players climbed over the glass and were literally fighting with fans. This is the same person who also said it was okay that you know PK had it coming to him. And I'm just saying he's used to that brand of hockey where he can go over the glass and fight people. Sorry. He got suspended six games, by the way, for that. Oh. So, no one else, no one ever talks about that. But you know why he is still, and this is what kills me, why he is still a commentator? Ratings. He can say whatever he wants as long as it generates a yeah. lot of media and social media attention, and he gets it done every single time. I don't know, and, and it kills me because I'm like, if y'all would just leave it alone or boycott him or do something, then he would go away. The ratings would drop. But because he is good at just causing so much crap, he will always be there. 
Mike will live on, and we will get to hear his commentating this next season. It's kind of like you say, any advertising is good advertising, they say, because even if you're saying something bad, you're still having people talk about your product. Still gets it out there. So Mike Milbury says some controversial stuff, but it does goose the ratings up because people are up in arms about what he says, so that stirs conversation going. And that's why he's still there. Uh We might not like what he says. Exactly. That's why I said if you're gonna boy if you're gonna do anything, you gotta boycott them like completely. You can't you can't keep the social machine going. If you keep doing that, he's gonna live on forever, and we'll we'll just deal with his comments for the next couple of years. So go ahead. All right. Well, my number three goes in line with my last one, and that is this is a shout out to my boy PK Subban <laughs> when players entering the zone are offsides by half step. When you're entering the zone, they're going ahead. It, you know, we talked about the last one. When they stick handle, it throws the pace off. So the wingers come up and they're ahead of pace of the centerman. Well, what about when they don't stick handle? They're just entering the zone a half step ahead because they're too impatient to wait for the guy to get entry into the zone with the puck. You know, you, I hope to God that that half second is going to help you score a goal because if you're off on that half second or that half step into the zone ahead of the guy with the puck, then you just turn the whole play around and it's coming back. We're done with the play because you're off sides. But if you would have taken the extra half step and just been behind the guy with the puck instead of just trying to chintz out a millimeter behind the puck, then we wouldn't have a problem. A lot of players get antsy too. They just, and it happens so quick too. They're just like, oh, here we go. There's, there's got to pull a, back, pull back the reins just a little, just a hair. They're like, oh, I, I'm going to make a big difference. The split second, this fourth of a second faster entry into the zone. Well, there's a big difference between a quarter second entry after the puck and a quarter second ahead of the puck. Because when you're off a fourth of a second ahead of the puck, it calls the play dead. So I would rather be a little safe than sorry and just step back just a half step. Yeah, there's been plenty of fast breaks ruined because of that. You're talking about, you know, player type stuff. So that leads into my number two, which is I see it a lot on my end and on the other end too, especially during the power play. I hate it when we constantly cycle the puck. Not oh. just not just Nashville. Are you one of those fans that's yelling, shoot, <laughs> shoot. But any, but any, team, any team in general, cycling the puck is fine. But when you take an entire power play, two minutes worth, and you just cycle, 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 cycle and you've got somebody in the crease waiting for it, take the shot, try to get a dirty goal. It'll work sometimes. It won't work all the time, but just cycling the puck constantly does not get you nowhere, and then you get then your team gets frustrated, your fans get frustrated, and it just leads and builds until you're just like, guys, just do something. Kyle's the one in the stands yelling, shoot the J, shoot yeah, it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I have to admit, there has been sometimes where I've been even like, okay, you got to take a shot eventually. Like you're on the power play for a reason. You got to have some scoring chances. And we keep passing. And we were looking for that perfect shot, which is so unrealistic. So yeah. unrealistic. Like you're not gonna get the perfect shot. But this leads great. What? Well, before, go ahead. Before go ahead. you continue, I was ready. I'll give you a little bit of the other side of that. Well, I, I see it from both perspectives. Like you said, if you're on the power play and you're cycling the puck so much that it's just an exhibition of passing, it's nice to have good passing, but this isn't a show-off clinic. We're yep. here to find an open slot, make, make, it, make a play. It usually Junk, is dirty. Junkyard, junkyard dog. dog. That's, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Get in there. That's right. 
Um, Traffic in front of the net. You can tell if you're only getting one or two shots on net in a power play, you need to focus a little less on cycling and pushing the pucks towards the net. Shoot towards the net, and good things will happen. Exactly. That's good coaching right there, Matt. If (laughs) you shoot and there's a rebound in front and there's a scramble, anything can happen. Because one, guess what? You now have an extra person in the scramble open. So a lot of times you can either put someone on the back post, the puck comes out, cycle right to him, goalie doesn't even see it because there's a scramble in front of the net like just shoot it at the goal just give us a couple i, I mean don't give us something I, to look I, at i'm not i'm not saying you know don't pass because the passing is important to set up some of those goals but this leads good into mine number two <laughs> power play entry <laughs> with a dump and chase yes thank you worst thing ever do not do this as your zone entry Every single time on the power play. And I'm sure lots of Predators fans out there would agree. We are masters at dumping the puck in and it getting forechecked on the board and it rolls out to one person and then it gets cleared every single time. Yep. It blows my mind. And this goes back to the whole, if you're setting up at your end behind your net, you're getting the passing and you're getting the lanes that you need to in the neutralize. You've gained speed. You've picked out the person who might not be the best at the D line, you know, at the, at the blue line right there. Because I know, like people like Ellis, they're great at standing players up. You don't go towards that player, okay? Like you have to have a nice executed strategy for gaining entry into the zone. And we, God, from a Predators perspective, did not have that this year. But other teams struggle with this as well, and it it drives me up a wall. Uh, let me just say the Penguins have some of the most beautiful zone entries for um, power plays. I, I, I mean, it was it was beautiful. Silky smooth. One or two passes. They, they found a crease. They're in. The rest of the players move in, and then they're already cycling. It, I, I mean, it's beautiful. Beautiful. We never do it. So another thing that's frustrating about it, you see that the Predators do that dump and chase a lot. It's nice. It, you'd think it fit into our system well because we're supposed to be a fast team. So that lends itself to throwing the puck down the ice and chasing it and beating them out with their with their speed. But when it's not performing the way you want it to, you have to look at some other options. And I kind of view it as a last resort. You don't have any other entries in the zone, so you dump and chase just to try to get in the zone. I even like the really high air pass. You know which one I'm talking about where they chip it yeah. way up? That at least gives you a few more extra seconds to get in the zone. Where the other one where you're just dumping it in along the board – a goalie can come out and block it. One of your lower D-men will, could pin it against the board and then cycle once to the other one and then clear. Like, that happens more times than not. But, I mean, I, do, I actually do like that little chip up in yeah. the air. Gives you a little extra half second. So You know, another thing you mentioned about gaining entry to the zone, especially on the power play, when you're on the power play, they regroup behind the goaltender and they get formations, okay, wingers will slide, okay, you exactly. go there, you go there. Well, you know what you're doing? It's nice to have a, have a formation regroup and set up, but you're blowing 12 seconds, 10, 12, 15 seconds of regrouping before you get back to the neutral zone. And I'm like, your power play is only two minutes, and you just wasted 12 seconds-ish on on regrouping. Just do that crap in the neutral zone while you're gaining entry because you're going to have trouble getting entry in there anyway. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating for us. So. I can't. I can't. I can't watch it. Sometimes it's it's almost painful for us, but I know other teams struggle with it too. 
Well, if it's painful for you, let's just go on the mats number uh, number two. Yeah, I'm done talking about it. We're just mad just talking about it. See, <laughs> was that one not on your list? No, but, because I knew y'all would mention it, so I was just. But it's rant. one. Of the, it's one of those things like we could almost interchange any one of these on our list yeah. because they're all like. Phew. All right, number two, Matt. All right, my number two is no elevation on the shot. <laughs> oh yes, this I was cl- waiting for this that. This is a classic Matt Bang. I was waiting for that because, to show up. Let me just say, preface this playoff years before when we were watching at home or something we'd be i mean it wouldn't even be the predators it could be any team we'd be like what did he do matt he elevated the puck like it's the matt bain special that's That's his major pet peeve oh man yeah so let's hear this matt yep so you know when you're shooting the puck you know the goalie's pretty good he's kind of hard to get a goal okay well you know where the goalie's easiest spot to block is is on his legs on his pad so even he's he's uh, you're going around the net, you're wrapping around the net, and you're coming back around, and he might has lost sight of you. Well, he don't know what to do, so you know what we resort to? We resort to throwing the toe on the pipe. You just slam it against the pipe to block off entry from the wraparound. That's what you do. Well, that's the goalie's default because he knows if on the wraparound especially, that's going to be the entry right there, and that and well deserved. That's the fastest point of entry to get into. So the goalie will slam a skate on the pipe right there and block that zone. Well, but similarly, when you're coming straight in from uh, wherever, coming straight down the ice, well, you don't know where you're going, especially he's getting, he's kind of deking, he's moving his way up to the crease. Well, when you don't elevate the puck, the goalie's thing is he's always going to have, he's already got his legs on ice, he's got his pads down, he's blocking that. So you really limit your chances and ability to score when you don't even take the time to elevate the puck. You're, it's going to be really hard to beat a goalie on the pad. So I understand a big another pet peeve of mine we talk about all the time is no elevation on the backhand. When you do that move, you're deking, you're trying to fake out the goalie, and then you come around. <laughs> dink it right into a pad. And you try to dink it. Well, you dink it right into the pad because you didn't take the time to elevate it on the backhand. Well, I understand elevating on the backhand is harder to do. Uh, and, you know, I hate to say it, got to give him some credit, the best backhand shot, mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby. He's the man on the backhand shot. But it's harder to elevate on the backhand, I get it. But when you're deacon, put it on the forehand and put it top shelf. That way you give yourself a chance because it's much harder for him to decide. You're going top shelf, you're going under the armpit, where are you going? You know, you're going five <laughs> hole. Well, the only thing that's blocked is the pad. So don't go to the pad. Elevate the puck. Give yourself a chance when you're deacon the goalie. You sound very passionate on that. Well said, Matt. That's right. I, I, I don't know what to say, so I guess I was going my number one. I, <laughs> he, he covered it all. <laughs> all right, so my number one is the offsides ruling. Oh. oh. That cost us so much this year. I would say it's offsides slash bad officiating. The officiating I, I, for <sighs> this year's playoffs were terrible, and it wasn't just Nashville's games. Everybody was complaining about the bad officiating. If I got to send you back down to peewee hockey so you can get the <laughs> lo- rules right, T-ball, and come back, the offsides, there are now cameras on the on the blue lines for offsides. This rule was not set up to be like, oh, we're going to look and see if your skate was a millimeter off the ice and call a goal back that happened a minute a minute ago. By the, way, PK that, by the way, that was the most low-quality, low-resolution photo <laughs> I have ever freaking seen of an offsides call against the Ducks. And what's what's interesting, uh, yeah. It blew my mind. I was like, what is this? Early 2000s? I mean, it was, it's terrible. It was terrible. Go and ahead. what's interesting about it is that you can tell when they're going to call something back or not. Because if they show the replay over repeatedly, 
it's going to probably get called back. When they don't show the replay, almost always not going to get not going to get called back. And I remember when they're you know looking at um, Subban got that goal in Game One of uh, versus Pittsburgh. I believe it was a Subban or was it Forsberg? Uh, Subban got the goal. Yes, okay, that's what it was. I think Forsberg was the one offside. That's by what it was. The ha- which that's what it that was. That also leads into like, uh, did that even help? Did that yeah. even? F- it did nothing. To the way the goal. his skate was angled, it's like. If you can't tell, keep it going. And it's got to be like conclusive evidence. Yeah, it's no, like inconclusive. Inconclusive. Call. Like the fact that they overturned that one, and I'm sure there's other calls like that. But the fact that they overturned that on an on a goal for an offsides that didn't really matter, and then on top of it, it's so inconclusive. Anyways, I mean, you're looking at the evidence. I mean, even Penguins fans. I mean, they would even agree with us. Like, I don't really know how you overturn that. And it's a very, it's a very gray area in the league right now with the video review and then also some of the stupid rules. It's frustrating. So yeah, my number one simply bad officiating and fix your offside uh, call. Uh, you need to get that stuff underneath the wraps because I think that's being abused. Well, my number one is virtually the same thing, but I kind of have an extra little tag on mine, and that is if Toronto wants to be all powerful and implement video review and add all this technology to the games and also put their opinion on stuff, like in games, because Toronto can review it. Why in the world, in certain circumstances, will they not review something when it is completely and blatantly obvious that the on-ice refs missed a call, a.k.a. Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals, where a ref was obviously out of place. He is the goal ref, and he was to the side. He loses sight of the puck and says he blows the whistle when Murray did not have the puck, and it's in the back of the net. Yep. That destroyed us. That that makes and breaks a game, and we have two major calls like that in a playoff series. We have the offsides one, and then we have that one at the end. And why the crap? I, I mean, you could see it on the replay. On the Jumbotron in the arena, Toronto saw it. How in the world do they not say, whoa, 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 whoa. They messed up. They didn't see it. We're going to get, like, that's obviously a goal. And there's already precedence because this happened in a previous game of the season and they said, good goal. Yes, Canucks game. They they actually, Toronto reviewed it after, like, after everything because they said, of course, because the ref blew the whistle, the mighty refs blow the whistle, or it's an intent to blow the whistle, whatever <laughs> crap that means. Screw like, that, let so. me just say, get on a rant for that. <laughs> intent to blow the whistle is the most ridiculous call I've ever heard. Oh, I was planning on blowing the whistle, but I didn't, so I'm still going to wave off the goal because I thought I was going to blow a whistle, but I didn't. It doesn't make any sense at all. Never should that ever happen, one. Two, Let's just get back on to this one point. I don't see how Toronto can weigh in on certain things and then just let the others just kind of pass on by. I don't know if that has to do with just the favoritism of certain teams in the league, but it it absolutely blows my mind that calls like that get overlooked. If you want to be all-powerful, if you want to have the video review, then do it. And stop the game. Actually, ironically enough, Toronto stopped a game a minute or two after in our series when we scored a goal. 
It was uh, Freddie's goal yep. on a wraparound. It went across the line, but they the refs missed it. And then a minute or two later, they called it a goal. If you can do it then, you can do it in a game six in a, in a, in a deciding game for the Stanley Cup final. But the whistle is all that matters in hockey. The whistle. Sounds pretty salty over here from the way I'm hearing things. It's not, but it's not just predators. Like, you see this across the board. There, other teams are getting completely messed over with those calls, too. Just, it's ridiculous, so. Well, Matt, is your number one going to mess us over? Yeah, let's, uh, we're getting a little uh, heated over here on that one again, so let's just skip on over to mine. Yeah, let's jump on over to you. Mine, we're going to mention something that hasn't been talked about yet. This is the number one for Matt. It's number one. When I say it, don't shout it out. You guys might know it already, but you hear me talk about it all the time. One thing I hate, I'll try not to yell it in the microphone like last time. Oh, God. When goalies play the puck behind the net, they get burned so Ineffectively, often yes. when they do it. They get turned around. They turn the puck over. It happens in the last two years. It's happened at least two or three times that I've seen, not necessarily to the Predators, but uh, around the league when I'm watching games, happens two or three times at least each season. Um goalies misplay the puck mishandle it they turn it over to like to the likes of i think it might have been the playoffs pekka plays the puck behind the net turns it over to Sidney freaking crosby are you kidding me that's a good guy to turn the puck over to behind the net with a gaping empty net hello your one job is to put your butt in the crease in front of the net so you can maybe block a shot you need to let somebody else if you can't if you can't play the puck in the trapezoid on on the blow around shot you need to let somebody else do it for you there's also uh, peck actually does it well He's very good. I, I, I will at it. say that Peck does it well, but there are some goalies. Oh no, I I don't even want to see you move out of your little spot because you're gonna have an own goal. There's gonna be something happening because like there are there are some goalies that are terrible at handling the puck. And Peck, I don't know if you've seen him in pregame, man. He does some he does puck drills too. So I, I'm okay with Peck because the benefit for us as far as like in the playoffs with. Him nullifying forechecking on a lot of the teams, especially the Blues, they weren't ready for that at all because they couldn't be as physical as they wanted up, up against the boards. I think that nullifies it for Peck, but there are a lot of goalies. Do not come out. Do yeah, not come he out. Was, uh, Rene was getting a lot of praise during the playoffs for his puck handling skills. So I think he showed, you know, an efficient goalie who can puck handle well can help make a difference also. Well, so Pecorini might be the exception He's to the, the rule. He's the exception, but there are oh. Let me tell you what every other goalie does. They play behind the net, and they like to do this thing where, okay, they're drawing the defender, so they've got a guy. Generally, you got someone from your team, a defender on your maybe right-hand side coming in. Then you got an attacker on the forecheck coming on the left. So you've got two options. You've got the bad guy on the left and the good guy on the right. Well, what the goalie seems to like to do is draw the attacker that way, draw them to the puck, and then they can chip it away from him that way they have open area to get the puck to a good guy but when you do it they wait to the last second and when you wait to the last second they're put, kicking it around the boards and when they do that what if the guy leans up against the wall and stops the puck then he's got possession of the puck and what you didn't do was give it to your to your defenseman going this way you decided they always do this as they flip it towards the direction of the attacker I don't know why they do that. They're going to wrap around and make because his momentum is going this way and the puck is going that way. That's great because he can't catch the puck because he's going the opposite direction. But if he happens to lean into the boards and stop the puck from traveling, in effect, what you've done is just given the puck, you just turned it over to the guy and you shot it right at him rather than just going the opposite direction and letting your defender outrace and out forecheck the other guy to the puck. I think Mason of Philly 
he had a, he had several bad goals. I think it was two last year. I think that was just like, oh god, man! Like you you don't need to come out of the crease. I mean, yeah. your strong suit is in that blue blue little area, right? You do you just stay there. Yeah, just park your butt in the do crease. Do not do your job. Like you see Peck and some of the other goalies do it. They do it well. That's not you. That's not your thing. <laughs> just sit there. Do not. Do not. Oh my gosh. You know, Matt, I I would literally have a heart attack as far as other fans go. You know, Matt, one day I'm just going to give you the mic. Going to turn the record button on. And I'm just going to let you talk. Just a rant. One just, just long a rant. rant. One <laughs> episode of this podcast will be dedicated just to Matt ranting. I told you I've I've been up frustration. I've been itching to just to just rant for like a week now, so that's perfect. Well, it has been a week. We've covered quite a bit today, so thank you guys for listening. Um, you can reach us at Music City Gold on Twitter. Uh, if you want to email us, uh, you can reach us at musiccitygold at gmail.com. Myself personally, if you want to find me, talk to me on Twitter, uh, you can reach me at Kyle Hancock. So thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Music City Gold, hosted by Penalty Box Radio. You guys all have a good week, and we'll see you on the ice. <laughs> <laughs>